Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Happy Easter, everyone. I uh, don't know if I've ever been more terrified uh, being up here and that I'm kind of on edge waiting to be interrupted by our orange friend behind me, but... Um, <laughs> Um, if you're a guest or a visitor, um, if this is your first time with us, um, our orange friend isn't normally here, um, but we're really glad that he is. Uh, if you are joining us online, um, you're so welcome. And if we haven't met before, my mom's watching online and my wee nana's in the room, so I, I have to give you my formal title. My name's Andrew, and uh, you're really welcome. Um, particularly if you've gathered with us to celebrate the baptism of your friends or your family members. We're going to get to that in, uh, in a little moment, but I want to take just a few minutes uh, to talk a little bit about what we're going to see, what's happened to the people that are going to get in this giant bathtub and get absolutely soaked earlier. Let me ask you a question. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of the word gospel? I wonder what emotions are evoked whenever you think about the word gospel. The gospel has all kinds of connotations here in Northern Ireland. I've traveled a bit around the world. I've never been anywhere else where it's hammered to the side of trees and painted on the side of barns. And yet the reality is, I think because in one way we're so familiar with this thing, it's shouting at us from the trees. And if you go into particular town centers on particular days, it's being shouted at us by particular individuals. Some of you feel super awkward about that. But what do we actually think about this word, and where does it come from? What does it actually mean? Mark 1, verses 14 and 15 says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Of course, that is the gospel. But what does that look like whenever it's worked out in our lives? Part of my job, I get to sit in all kinds of different environments talking about this thing called the gospel. And there's a number of different responses or reactions that I get in those types of conversations. For some, uh, let's put them in the intellectually superior camp. They, They usually have some sense of like, That's really nice that you believe that thing. I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's kind of cute that you need those sorts of beliefs in your life. The most common camp that I encounter when I'm talking about things of faith and Jesus isn't that level of skepticism, but it's a bit more like, well, that may or may not be true. I haven't met too many, I have to be honest with you, I haven't met in my life too many convinced atheists. They are like just completely and utterly convinced this is all there is. Most people are in the kind of camp where they're like, well, I kind of believe there is something out there. It's a bit of a leap for me to think this all happened on accident. But this thing you're talking about, it's actually just irrelevant to my life. It's like background noise hammered onto tree trunks along country roads. Does this thing called the gospel have anything to say to our lives on this day in this year? There's another group of people that I encounter quite a lot, and there are those who've, believe it or not, actually been traumatized by that word. They've 
grown up with some sense of God's really angry and he's waiting to catch you out. And if you don't say the right things, do the right things, and pray the right things, then he's going to judge you pretty harshly, so you better watch out. The word gospel actually comes from a Greek word, euangelion. And what's funny about that word, that is the word we get gospel from, is it had nothing to do with church or the Bible or spirituality. The word gospel was actually borrowed from the wider world. Whenever the Roman army took over a city or took over a nation, what would happen when the battle was over and they'd cleared away all the dead bodies was a herald on behalf of the Roman emperor would come into essentially the market square and he would use that word gospel, euangelion, euangelion, good news, good news, your rightful king has come. That's what they would say. When Rome took over a city or a people, they would proclaim the gospel, the good news, that the people's rightful king, the Roman emperor, had now come. Fast forward to Jesus, we find this word, euangelion, proclaiming the good news of God, the euangelion, the good news that the people's rightful king had come. Why is this important? Well, because the gospel has more to do with who the boss of your life is than what happens to you when you die. Certainly the New Testament gospel anyway. The gospel has way more to do with who is ruling your life than what it has to do with what happens to you when you die. Good news, your rightful king has come, is followed in verse 15 by Jesus himself saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, or it has arrived. God's kingdom, his order has invaded the chaos of the world. That was the euangelion that Jesus preached. And at the time and in the context of Jesus proclaiming this, we can so easily dismiss this as dry theology or just a little verse in the book of Mark. But these words were the words of a revolution. You see, there was already a king ruling around the people that heard this gospel. His name was Herod, and he was literally a puppet for the Roman emperor. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come, he's saying to the people that a revolution has begun. God is doing something. This is why on Palm Sunday, we celebrated this last week, the people welcomed Jesus in their thousands into Jerusalem, heralding him, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They literally thought something natural and physical was happening that Jesus was arriving as their longed-for king, and he was going to get rid of Herod and get rid of Rome and establish the order of God's kingdom here on earth. They welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as king, and of course, that is why they executed him. Because the powers that be in that city and in that structure, like most powers, had no desire to let go of their power. And so the one that was challenging that got nailed to something that looked a little bit like 
that. What does any of this mean for us, especially for those who are being baptized today? You see, the ministry of Jesus 2,000 years ago and since then through the church was always supposed to be about the proclamation and demonstration of the good news that our rightful king has come. That's what the gospel is. You need no skill to see just how fragile our world is. Wars, famines, a global pandemic, inflation. Scientists are telling us now that over one million species in the world today are heading towards extinction. The truth is our world is in chaos. So what do we do with that? If you read on after Jesus said these words in Mark's gospel, we see that Jesus sets a man free from a demon. He goes on to heal a whole load of people. He continues preaching, and then he cleanses a leper. Why? Jesus is demonstrating what it looks like when our rightful king has come. The oppressed are set free. The sick are made well. Our twisted and self-centered way of thinking is replaced with an understanding and practice of what human flourishing actually looks like. And the most overlooked and excluded in society are brought into a place of community and are welcomed at our tables. The kingdom of God, as proclaimed and demonstrated by Jesus and the early church, was and is, I believe, the most compelling picture of human society the world has ever seen. The truth is, as we look at the chaos of the world around us, if we have any sense, we long for the order of God's kingdom. But that requires the hard part, the last part of verse 15, the bit that most of us would rather perhaps wasn't there. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in this good news. Or another way of thinking about that sentence is rearrange everything and accept this new king. Rearrange everything and accept this new king. Who is the boss of your life, because of course it is easy for us to point at the chaos around us, and yet it is arrogant for us to think that that will change without us first dealing with the chaos within us. Transformation in the world begins as we allow the order of God's kingdom not to come out there, but to actually come in here. I remember years ago when one of my sons was really small, I was putting him in a car, and we were doing the seatbelt thing, and he said, Dad, does Jesus live in the sky? And I said, well, kind of. Like, there's this thing called omnipresence, and then I was like, I'm talking to a four-year-old, what am I doing? <laughs> so I said, well, yes and no, but actually, here's the point, and I poked him in the chest, and I said, the reality is Jesus wants to actually live in there. But Jesus only comes to live in your life. If you invite him, he's very polite that way. He doesn't rush into anybody's life, doesn't force his way into anyone. He, but if you invite him, he'll come and live in here. And he was about to pray. He said, okay, I'm going to ask Jesus to come live in my life. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. It's really important you understand this, that whenever you invite Jesus to come and live in your life, what you're actually saying, what you're inviting is Jesus to be the boss of your life. And without skipping a beat, he said, that's okay, Jesus, you can stay in the sky. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you which one of them. <laughs> I'll tell you later. 
Yes, I'll tell you when I get down from here. <laughs> Classic minister's kid. Good theology, bad decisions. <laughs> you see, the gospel, the euangelion, the good news that our rightful king has come, is about us actually allowing Jesus not to be an idea up there, but to be present and ruling in here. One theologian writes this, the appropriate response to this gospel proclamation is to rethink everything in light of the risen and ascended Christ and to live accordingly. We rethink our lives, which is what it means to repent, not so we can escape a doomed planet, but in order to participate in God's design to redeem the human person and renovate human society in Christ. Salvation is a restoration project, not an evacuation project. This is why filling the oil tanks of Syrian refugees, opening our homes to Ukrainian refugees, being forgiving and friendly to our neighbors. This is why this stuff matters, because as we respond to the invasion of the kingdom of God, His good order, it requires us to demonstrate that around us. Many of you will not hear the words that we say to the folk that are going to get into the baptism tank this morning. When they get in there, and I have to warn you, the heater broke, so the water's a little colder than it would normally be. Once they catch their breath, we ask them this question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is king over everything, especially your life. That is the gospel. Good news, good news. Our rightful king has come. Let's pray for a moment. Jesus, we thank you for the signs of life in this room. We thank you that on Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate real, true life available to every single one of us. And so, Lord, we pray now you would come, rule in our lives. Bring chaos to order. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.